So my name is Matt. Uh, I'm the high school youth pastor here at Harvest, if I haven't got a chance to meet you before. Um, and it would have been a lot easier if my instruction for this week was just read the passage and you don't need to give any explanation. You can just go back and sit down and let it speak for itself. Um, but that's not what they told me to do. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to dive into Exodus more together. And if you're just joining us um, this week or the last couple weeks, uh, we are in a series going through the book of Exodus, but with an emphasis and a focus on free to be God's people. And uh, this is a story that we have of God's people that are, sto- it's a story of the weak, of the enslaved, of the burdened, of the afflicted people, um, but with an all-powerful God that is on their side, uh, who has promised that he will save them to bring glory to his name, to set them apart and make them like no other nation on the earth. And last week, we, start to, we got to start to see this saving take place um, where, where God sends Moses to Pharaoh, and, and, and Moses says, like, the tagline of, let my people go. Um, and Pharaoh has this option. He totally, in that moment, could say, okay. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he doesn't, and, and he rejects um, Moses and God's request, and he will not let the people go. And so um, in, in spite of, of Pharaoh's rejection to God, God sends a plague. Um, and we saw last week there were six plagues that God has sent so far, the Nile being turned into blood, masses of frogs, gnats, flies, livestock dying, and then boils afflicting people. And if you're like me, um, if you've grown up in the church uh, for a while, and, and not everyone here has, and that's awesome, um, but I've heard this story so much. I've heard this story just in my childhood, maybe, I don't know, I don't, probably hundreds of times, right? Um, it looked really cool on the felt board in Sunday school. Um, shout out to the felt board. Um, but this story can just come as something that, that, oh yeah, I know the story of the ten plagues. And really in Sunday school, it's something that almost, I mean, we, we do want kids to not just take the whole weight of what's going on here, but it can be dumbed down to a pyramid on the felt board and then placing a frog on top of it. And then a lightning bolt coming from the sky. And then some gnats that are surrounding it. Because as I look at this story, like what's happening here, the plagues that God is sending, these are terrible. These are unbelievably painful and great, great affliction. If we saw this taking place on the news in another country or in a neighboring city, we would be like, what the heck is going on? And I think it is so easy, especially for those of us that have heard this story time and time again, to miss the complete and total devastation that's going on in the story. And if you're hearing the story for the first time and you feel shocked, like in it, that these plagues are taking place, that's probably a really good response to what's happening in this story. Because for me, if, I, if I'm thinking about reading the story for the first time, my gut reaction is to go, God, what are you doing? It is so much easier to to just think of you as as a loving God and the caring God and the peaceful God. Um, And it's hard for me to think about you in these ways that you would send such devastation onto a people. And I think sometimes we we have a hard time doing that with Scripture, saying, God, what are you doing? Because we know we should just trust or we should just believe. But then we look at our own lives um, and we see how often maybe we ask that question God, what are you doing? Like, 
why are these the circumstances that I'm in right now? Why is this what's going on in my life? And those are good questions to ask. And maybe you've never asked those questions in this story um, as we've gone through it. Maybe you just liked the felt board. I did too. It was pretty fun to put the frog on different things. Um, But we get to ask that question of God, what are you doing? When we're training youth staff for the youth group, uh, especially regarding small groups, um, we talk about how how do we respond to the questions like some of the students ask. Uh, One of the things uh, that we encourage our staff to do is to say, I don't know. Because um, there are certain questions, there are certain things that students ask of us that are so big and so hard, and we don't want to fake it until we make it, right? We want to say, I, I don't know, but let's seek out the truth of who God is in this together. Uh, and this morning, as we dive into the last four plagues, I wish I could tell you I know exactly what God is doing in each one of these plagues. I know all of his purposes Um, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, but, um, I feel like God has given us, has given me some things that are tangible to hang on to. And so I'd ask in, in my not knowing of all God's reasons for this, that we dive in together, that we seek out the truth of who he is, because that's what following Jesus is all about. We don't know it all at one moment, but it's a process of continuing getting to know who he is and his heart for us. So that's what we're doing this morning. So I'm going to pray again. We like to pray here a lot because we need a lot of help all the time. So if you would pray with me, asking the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. God, we thank you that you are a God who does reveal himself to his people. And yet sometimes, Lord, we just try to make sense of you and get lost. So Lord, whatever you would have for each of us, for us as a body and for us as individuals this morning to to pull back the veil, to pull back the layers, to reveal more of your heart to us because a lot of the time, God, the problem lies within us that we don't see you for who you really are. And so, Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts, revealing to us how we can trust you more today, how we can go out from this place, and and, and I need so much of your help. Lord, I... I so often, like especially in passages like this, feel like I have nothing good to offer unless it comes from you. And so, Lord, um, I I really want to be humble in this and ask you for your help so that your word would go out. In your name, amen. All right, so um, as we go through these last four plagues, uh, we're going to kind of be at bird's eye view, like going over the top and then diving down to ground level in certain sections. So if it feels like I'm skipping over anything, it's mainly that I'm trying to summarize, totally go back. Um, we have access to scripture, so you can go back and read the sections that, or the pieces that I just summarize or don't cover. Um, but just felt like we needed to go bird's eye view and then dive down to certain spots. So where we're starting is Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, let my people go so that they may worship me, or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up 
for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God alludes to that he uh, has almost been like holding back like with some of these plagues so far. He says, I'm about to unleash the full force of these plagues. And, and while that may sound harsh or that may sound like, okay, wow, now here comes like the heavy hitting God. Like let's not miss out on, on the mercy in the midst of this too. Um, um, sorry. Uh, he says, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off of the earth. Um, if God's intent, if God's purpose was to destroy these people, he could have done it like with a snap of his fingers, but his purpose wasn't to destroy the Egyptians. The purpose that he makes known in this passage again is to save my people so that my name might be glorified and proclaimed in all the earth. But Pharaoh's rejecting that. The Egyptians are rejecting that, saying, no, we're not going to let your name ultimately be glorified in all the earth. In that verse, in verse 16, uh, it says, but I have raised you up, or I have spared you for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And that sounds like something that God says to us still. He's, he's a very constant God. I have raised you up for a purpose that I might show you my power. And we know that power through his Holy Spirit, that my ma- name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God says that um, if he doesn't let the people go again, uh, if he rejects, um, if he rejects this this ask, um, that he will send the worst hailstorm that Egypt has ever experienced, um, and we see that in verse uh, chapter nine, verse nineteen, um, that God still is showing mercy though in the midst of this hailstorm. It says, "Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter." because the hail will fall on every person and every animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. Even in this hailstorm that is going to be absolutely ridiculous, God is still showing mercy that he doesn't want death for the Egyptians. He's giving them a way to escape death even, to bring their people in, to bring their animals in. And as we, a lot of us know the story of the plagues, death is God's last resort to ultimately free his people in the end. But Pharaoh won't let them go. Um, uh, he, he still rejects their ask, and so the hail and the thunder and lightning come like never before in Egypt and never will be seen again. And even some of the Egyptians do not heed God's warning to bring in their animals, to bring in their slaves, or even they themselves don't come inside. And and it's known in this passage that people die and death occurs. But the only place um, that, that it doesn't strike is in Goshen where the Israelites live. Last week we saw that God is making a distinction after the plague of frogs that these plagues are afflicting the Egyptians, but they are not plaguing his own people. There's a protection, there's a coverance over his people in this. And Pharaoh, this whole time, like he's given chance after chance 
to say, I will let, I'll let the people go. And I, as I was thinking about it, I was like, why would Pharaoh do this? Why would he choose to let God's people go? I really think the only reason, especially before ever being afflicted by anything, the only reason Pharaoh would ever do this is because he recognized that their God was a God that was worthy of their worship. If Pharaoh had recognized God as that from the get-go, that he was worthy of, the worship, of, of his people's worship, of the Egyptians' worship, he would have let the people go. But instead, he doesn't. He hardens his heart. Um, and God says, I will show you that I am worthy of their worship. You don't fear me now. You don't have reverence for me. But I will show you that I am a God that is worthy of worship, of reverence. So then we read in Exodus 9, uh, verse 27. After all this destruction has taken place by the hail, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned. Yeah, just this time. He said to them, the Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. <laughs> um, good job, Pharaoh, right? You acknowledge that you're sinning in this. He says, I mean, this sounds good. He's saying, I am in the wrong. God is in the right. And we, like Pharaoh, have to come to that place acknowledging in our sin, in our opposition to God, in our uh, stubbornness against God, that we are in the wrong and that God is in the right. Um, and, and actually, this takes place again in the next plague. Um, and we're going to jump ahead briefly. Uh, what happens next is, is Pharaoh doesn't relent, doesn't let the people go again. And um, God says that he will send locusts. Uh, and we'll dive into that a little bit more. But in Exodus 10, 16, and 17, it says, Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. So we see that Pharaoh is confessing his sin. And at youth group, a lot of the time, uh, as we went through the book of Mark, um, and, and a lot of it, there's this opposition with the Pharisees. Uh, and it's easy to go, oh, yeah, those are the bad guys. And those are the guys that, um, that we want to be nothing like. But a lot of the time we saw that when we looked at the Pharisees, so often we see a mirror of, of the depravity of our own hearts. And so as we look at Pharaoh here in, in, in this passage, we kind of still have to have that mirror and say, does this go on in my own heart as well? Because while Pharaoh here is confessing his sin, is he truly repenting of his sin? Let's go on. Exodus 9, verse 34. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said to Moses. I'm going to talk about youth group a lot. It's kind of what I do. Um, recently, we've been really emphasizing at youth group like what true repentance looks like. Because uh, if you're like me, a lot of the time growing up, um, I thought repentance was just acknowledging that I had a sin problem, that I was like going towards my own ways and and, remo and uh, 
against the ways that God would have me live. And I thought that that was in confessing that sin, whether it was to God or whether it was to my youth leader or to my parents or whatever it may be, that was true repentance taking place in my life. There's an author named Brennan Brennan Manning who, who writes Ragamuffin Gospel, and he puts repentance as this. It isn't what we do to earn forgiveness, but what we express because we have been forgiven. It's what we express because we have been forgiven. Because it's one thing when I sin against my wife and I do something dumb to just say, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, right? Um, that doesn't fly very well in our house. Um, because I, I probably, I, just saying the words, um, while I probably in that moment mean them, and it's good for her to hear that, what's more important, what's more crucial, it's kind of fun getting to talk about marriage now, and you guys, a lot of you getting to connect with me on this. Um, I had to just pretend before. Um, it's better when I acknowledge my sin And then I take steps to not do that again. Not just say it, but to live it out, to go against my nature that still wants to do that very thing, that still just wants to leave my dishes in the sink, that still just wants to throw the cat across the bed when he's waking me up at 3 in the morning. But it's better when I take steps to say, God, will you change me? Will this not take place in my life again? Will you move me further from my own ways and closer to your own. Repentance at its finest looks like the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. We don't have time to get into all of this story, but Zacchaeus is a man who, he's a tax collector, he's he's a thief, he's a liar, he's conceited, he's greedy, and he's selfish. And then Jesus one day wants to hang out with him. He wants to go to Zacchaeus' house. He wants to spend time with him. And after being confronted with Jesus' powerful presence for however long they spend together, Zacchaeus doesn't just get up in front of all these people and say, I'm so sorry that I've stolen from you. Please forgive me. But Zacchaeus gets up in front of all these people and says, I have stolen from you, and I want to give back what I've stolen. And I want to give you even more than I've taken from you. We see that with Zacchaeus, he looks at who he used to be and says, I now am going to be a man that lives into the opposite of that. I was once greedy. I am now going to be giving. I was once selfish. I'm now going to be thinking of other people. I was conceited, and now I'm going to look out to see the needs of the poor and the needy. This is true repentance, and this is a process as we follow Jesus. But with Pharaoh, When he acknowledges, when he's confronted with the powerful presence of God, he hardens his heart and he says, no, I'm not going to change. I was in the wrong, but I'm not going to change. Repentance always requires faith and action, and then God brings the transformation. Because confession is important. Confession is good. It's good to acknowledge, right? The first step is acknowledging you have a problem. Um, Confession is important, but it's just a step in the process. Uh, And I think sometimes in this community, I'm not just talking about this community, but where we live, um, it's really easy to not even want to confess because we want things to look really good. We want to project that things are going okay in our lives. And we struggle even 
for an instant letting people know that things may be off or wrong or that we may be in sin. We have to take that step if we truly want to acknowledge how we need to live differently in this community. Let's go into Exodus um, chapter... Oh, wait, sorry, skipped ahead. Um, Nope, not going there yet, sorry. Um, And this passage uh, reminds me of of James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Pharaoh is in essence saying to God, okay, you have my attention. Like through these plagues, I'm listening now, but I'm not going to do what you ask. And for me in my life, like knowing, not knowing that I have a sin problem, not knowing that I'm going on sinning, that's a scary place to be when we don't even realize we're in the midst of sin. But a scarier place to be is totally knowing and acknowledging that I do have a sin problem, that it does exist, but not wanting to change, not wanting to, to actually go to a place of repentance. If we know that sin exists, We've got to take steps to live differently, to put our faith in Jesus, to change us. So after the hailstorm has devastated Egypt, even Pharaoh's own officials can see that Pharaoh needs to surrender. They beg with him to let the Israelites go to worship their God. And Pharaoh actually says, he he brings Aaron and Moses before him, and he says, go, take your people, worship. God. And and how I imagine this going down, I don't know this, but Aaron Aaron and Moses are are before Pharaoh. He says, go, worship your God. The words that they've been longing to hear, they kind of look at each other like, no way. And then they turn around. They're getting ready to go out to the people. And just before they get to the door, Pharaoh says, wait a second, but who's going to be going with you? And this is their response in Exodus chapter 10. Verse 9, Moses answered, We will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you if I let you go, along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you've been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh still wants control. He doesn't want to let God fully have authority and reverence in this situation. Pharaoh's like, okay, I'll let your people go if or but. And he doesn't fully want to dive in and just say, okay, I trust you. And isn't that so like us? Say, yes, God, I will follow you. Yes, God, I will obey if it's in this timing or when you show me this or if I have a husband or a wife or when you've provided enough for me to fully trust you financially. Like we want to trust God, but then we still want to grasp back to things that, that we can tangibly feel and have some control over. And that's what Pharaoh is trying to do here in his heart that is hard. It is so hard for him to let go of control. 
And like we saw earlier, Pharaoh confesses his sin um, in this once this plague strikes, once these locusts come, and it says an east wind blows in, and locusts cover the ground to the point where it's black, um, which is really disgusting (laughs) Um, and would be awful. Uh, and, and he confesses a sin once damage comes again, once affliction comes again. He's like, okay, I'm in the wrong. Um, but once again, he refuses to let God's people go again. He won't give up control. And we come um, to the last two plagues in Exodus 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will be spread over Egypt darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered covered all Egypt for three days. Um, Oh, I'm going to keep going. Sorry. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. So here's this picture of a darkness that is so thick, that is so powerful, that is so strong, that it's described as a darkness that can be felt. And this is a crazy, terrifying picture, probably the origin of why people are afraid of the dark, <laughs> like hearing this story from generation to generation. But then we get this beautiful picture that in the midst of the darkness, there's Goshen and there's light. People can see. And I've tried to like imagine like how this looks, right? Like, because just trying to picture this is crazy. Um, and then I would like go through the things of like, but what about when an Israelite would go into Egypt? Would like a little Eeyore cloud of light like kind of follow them? Or like would a darkness follow Egyptian? And I don't know how it worked. And it's too beautiful and too awesome and too majestic for me to even begin to wrap my brain about brain around. But God loves this illustration throughout Scripture of being the God that provides light for his people in the midst of heavy, heavy darkness. But once again, Pharaoh calls Moses and he says, go worship your God, you can go. But still he wants it on his own terms and he won't let them take any of their livestock with them. And Moses explains they need animals to make proper sacrifices to God, um, that this is a part of their worship to their God. And then we read in Exodus 10, verse 27, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. And before we dive into this last plague of the death of the firstborn, there's like a quick distinction I feel like needs to be made. Because in the next chapter, we see that Moses is once again before Pharaoh and, um, and sharing with him like what this plague is going to be. And so it's like, Moses, you just said like you'd, he'd never see your face again where you're like, oh, wait, hang on a second. You know, almost like a breakup. We're like, I never want to talk to you again. Next day they're texting you um, or, or however it goes. Like maybe that's what happened. But a lot of, um, a lot of uh, scholars believe that, um, that God had already given the instruction to Pharaoh beforehand or even gave, or to Moses beforehand or even gave it to him in that moment. So this time I imagine 
Moses is walking away from Pharaoh. He's about to get to the door, but then he turns around and then gives him these instructions in Exodus 11, verse 4. So Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. For the first, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Death is the final plague that's needed for God's people to be set free. After ten chances to let God's people go, God's last resort is death to finally get Pharaoh's attention. And we've talked about this all throughout Exodus already. We see once again that God is permitting what he hates, that death is the enemy. As we're going to kind of finish, God permits what he hates to bring about what he loves. We saw that in this, through the devastation, God has shown compassion, has shown mercy, has given chances to the Egyptians, to Pharaoh time and time again to turn and say, no, your people can go to acknowledge that he is a God who is worthy of worship. And God's plans will always prevail. We know now, um, the Israelites didn't know then, that the battle against sin and death is already won. But yet God didn't force this plan to come about. He didn't just at a snap of his fingers say this is the way that it's going to be, but yet God invited people to be a part of this plan coming about. He even invited Pharaoh to be a part of this plan coming about, but Pharaoh resisted him, Pharaoh rejected him, and so God said, okay, I can still use that too. It's going to be a lot more gnarly than if you had just said yes. I will use that to bring my plan about. He invites us people to bring about his kingdom here and now. And in his goodness, he uses our saying yes to God, and he also uses our resistance to God. But as we can see in this story, it is so much better to say yes. It goes so much better for us and say, yes, God, I will trust, I will follow, I will acknowledge that in my life there is no one like you. And it's no coincidence that this final plague Death will come to the firstborn child. Because in Jesus, we see God's only son willingly offer up his life so that through his death, we might be set free as his people. On the cross, we see God's full wrath and judgment on sin being poured into Jesus like the world has never seen and will never see again. And next week, we're going to dive more into that as, as we look at the first Passover meal um, that we now symbolize through communion as well, once Jesus redirected it um, to be about his death and resurrection. 
But it's so good as we go through Exodus to continue to look forward and be reminded of who Jesus is coming up in the story, but also now in the story, because God is still reflecting the heart of the Savior, and we see that throughout Scripture. But a couple takeaways for us today. I have three main kind of points for us to think about, both as we go into a time of worship and as we go out from this place together. Because as we're focusing and emphasizing and free to be God's people continually, continually when we look at Exodus, we need to look um, inwardly to say, how have I been freed to be God's person, to be God's son, to be God's daughter, and how has God commanded me to live into that? Start with Ezekiel 36, 26, which I believe is up on the screen, and Sherry read earlier, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart flesh. We, like Pharaoh, have a heart problem, but God's promise to us is a new heart and a new spirit for his people who have chosen to live into the freedom that comes through his son, Jesus. And this promise comes true to us through true repentance, not simply confession, which is so important, but by taking action to turn from our old self and turn to God's ways and him being the one that transforms us. He's the one that does the open heart surgery. Um, but we have to say yes to that process. We have to put, put feet to that coming about in our lives. Second point, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We follow a God that is filled with mercy and compassion, giving us and those that we love and care for and everyone else chance after chance to come to a place of repentance and following him. And I'd ask you this morning, how has God been patient with you in this process? Because I have to remember that for me as well as I continue to need to be patient with him in the circumstances, the ones that are disheartening, the ones that are hard, the ones that are crushing, the ones that seem like there's no hope, to ultimately be patient with how God is going to use this for his good. Because God's heart, as we see in this passage, passage, is the heart of a Savior, wanting everyone to come to a place of repentance. And finally, I want us to picture that plague of darkness. I want us to picture a darkness that is so thick, that is almost tangible, but then to picture the place of Goshen where there is light. Even though darkness is fully surrounding it, fully encapsulating it, that there is still light and there is hope for God's people, a light that God has provided. Because sometimes our lives feel like they are surrounded by darkness. It feels like there is a present darkness that is thick, even tangible. And if we haven't experienced it yet, Jesus shows that we will experience trouble in this world. But yet God is our source of light. As we see that Jesus says in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of light. 
And then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus flips it and says, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. And I know for a lot of people in this room, um, just from being in staff meeting and hearing prayer requests, there's been a lot of really dark and hard um, places that a lot of us have, have been in and come from recently. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is a light unto our path so that we can follow him until there is a day where there is no more darkness, there is no more evil, there is no more plagues, there is no more affliction. And he has set that place for us to join in him. And at the same time, we can't just view life as darkness surrounding us and just our light, that actually Jesus was one who left light, who left perfection, who left the full glory of God's kingdom to come in and to be light in the darkness as well. When he says that you would never walk in darkness, that doesn't mean that you will never walk among darkness. That it's you yourself will have hope and have light to share with the world. So as we worship um, this morning, uh, I'd encourage you, maybe it's one of those points, maybe it's all three. Um, how do our hearts need to continue to turn from our heart of stone to a heart of flesh to follow our God who is good and is mighty and is our king this morning. I'll pray the band's going to come up and then we're going to close out our time and worship together. Thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way for us to be free. Lord, that um, while you totally acknowledge that we will face trouble in this world, that you've said, I have overcome the world. And God, would we first look inwardly to our own hearts to see what you still, um, we need to trust you that you've overcome. Would we not hold on? Would we not try to trust you on our own terms like Pharaoh did? But would we just dive in into full trust, full faith, full expectance of what you're going to do in and through us? And as darkness feels evident, as it feels thick in our lives, would we know that we have the light of the world living in us. And then would we go out boldly to places, to people, where darkness is surrounding them, and would they see the hope of your light, freeing them as well from affliction, from pain, from death, and from sin. Would we live this out together in your name? Amen.